Welcome to the Charleston School of Law podcast, episode number four. I'm your host, John Struble. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or listen to streaming episodes on our website at charlestonlaw.edu slash podcast. Our guest today is Charleston School of Law professor Paul Lund. He has served as a faculty member at Charleston Law for 15 years. Professor Lund, it is a pleasure to have you join us on the Charleston School of Law podcast today. And it's a pleasure to be with you, John. Uh, Good morning. Let's go back and kind of put the puzzle pieces together on your career first. Tell me about your professional resume, both in practice and what you did, and obviously what you teach now as a professor of law at Charleston School of Law. I went to Florida State University for law school and graduated from there in 1985. And the first thing I did after I graduated from law school was that I clerked for a federal judge on the 11th Circuit Court of Federal, uh, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, mm. which covers federal federal appeals for Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Um, and so I clerked with that judge. Uh, his name was Paul Roney for one year, and then I went to a law firm in Tampa, Florida, called Carlton Fields, and I practiced there for I guess it was four years total. And when I was there, I did primarily civil litigation, okay. so various government, governmental regulation, excuse me, governmental litigation, corporate litigation, um, you know, some various different clients we would represent. And then from there is uh, after that is when I I went back to law school actually for a year. I went to Yale Law School to get an LLM degree, a Master of Law degree, and then I've been teaching since then. And I've. I've taught now, uh, Charleston is actually the seventh law school that I've taught at in one capacity or another. Wow. I also, yeah, yeah, it's, it's been quite a, quite a trip. Um, I started out back at my alma mater, Florida State, where I taught legal writing, and then I taught uh, also legal writing for a year at the University of Chicago Law School, something they call a Bigelow Fellowship that I did for a year. Hmm. And then after that is when I started teaching what are called doctrinal law classes, um, I started first as a visiting, visiting professor at University of Oklahoma for a year. Then I did four years as a visiting professor at Syracuse University College of Law. And then finally, I landed at a, at a brand new law school at that time, uh, a school called Appalachian School of Law in Virginia. And I was there for a number of years and eventually became their associate dean for academic affairs and for a brief period, their interim dean. Um, and then when Charleston opened, um, I became very interested in coming down here. And so the third year the school was opened, I came here first as a visiting professor and also and eventually as a tenure track professor. But um, but I, during that time period, I also visited for one semester at University of South Carolina School of Law. So but in, but anyway, what I teach uh, civil procedure has always kind of been my main area, which which plays in with what I did in practice civil litigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started teaching evidence. I didn't really have a lot of courtroom experience, but I've always enjoyed teaching evidence. And I think that's one of my favorite classes to teach. Uh, sometimes I teach contracts if they can use someone to pinch hit in that area. And I teach a class called Conflict of Laws, which is kind of a upper level civil procedure class. So very, anyway. Very cool. Um, yep. Do you miss the day-to-day practice of law yourself, even though you're teaching it to right. students of the next generation? For you, is it something that 
you have a little itch every once in a while, would like to do a case here or there? I mean, yeah, I think what I always enjoyed most about the practice of law, John, was appellate arguments um, where you would have the opportunity to argue to the court about what the law should be. Um, and I think that's why I kind of naturally gravitated towards teaching, or part of what gravitated me towards teaching as well is this this idea to, that you get to talk about the law and what the law should be. Um, and, you know, so, I, and I, I have, you know, for time to time, I, I help out people, not, not necessarily put my name on a brief or something, but I'll help out people with an argument they're making or something. So mm. I definitely enjoy still doing that. It yeah. scratches the itch a little bit. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, why did you pursue a law degree? Was it something you were always passionate about? Or did you have family and generations before you that were in law and kind of drew you to that? What was the inspiration for you to practice law? Yeah, so it definitely was not family. Um, I'm the first person in my extended family who is, who is a lawyer or has gone to law school. Mm. Um, I had a number of engineers in my family, uh, but I was never really drawn to that. Um, my uh, dad was an accountant and I wasn't really drawn to that. Um, I, I, when I first went to undergrad school, I believe it or not, I was I was thinking I was going to be an architect, uh, but that did not last very long. <laughs> I quick, quickly figured out that was not suited for me. But while I was at Georgia Tech, that's where I went for my first year of college, um, I took a political science class there uh. that just uh, just really drew me in. Um, and it, I think it was partly the way the professor taught the class. He was very energetic, very enthusiastic, yeah. despite the fact that he was teaching in a class of probably 150 people. Mm. Um, and, and that, when it was there, that what drew me into, so, okay, I decided then that I, that's what I really wanted to pursue at the undergrad level. So I ended up transferring to Florida state and, and completed my degree there, undergrad degree there. And I think it's during that time that I really realized that I was drawn to drawn to the law. So, so that's kind of my journey. Yeah, that's cool. Um, did yeah. that first professor? Uh, it sounds like he influenced you, drew you into the subject matter of the practice of law. But that first professor in a in a bigger auditorium setting, it we right. could talk about the challenges of teaching in that setting compared to a small classroom setting like ours. But I'm I'm curious, did that professor influence your teaching style as you began to teach as well? Did you kind of pick and choose some things that he, the way he taught also in, informed your teaching style? Yeah, I think so. And I think it, I think what he did was sort of consistent with what I thought some of my best law school professors did, which mm -hmm. is, you know, when you're in a larger class like that, you can't necessarily be engaging one-on-one -on -one with every student in the class in every session, but you can still be in a way where you're being interactive with the class as a whole yeah. and drawing the class as a whole into the discussion. And that's kind of what I aim to try to do is to, you know, not be able straight out lecturing, of course, I have to talk about stuff, but to try to ask in a way that we weren't drawing the whole class into the discussion. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that at Charleston School of Law and how that looks, right. because we have a much more intimate setting compared to right. the larger schools. So when you approach that class setting like that, it enables you, and this is an assumption, I want you to clarify this, Sure. It does 
that enables you to really kind of work one-on-one with students and engage one-on-one and build healthy conversation and debate around that, right? Yes, uh, totally. I think so. Yeah. I mean, with our, with the classes I teach, I, most of the classes I teach are the first year or second year required classes like civil procedure or evidence or contracts. And Mm. typically, you know, we try to limit those to no more than 50 students, which I think is a a nice, healthy size. And, um, but I'm one thing, I mean, I think students know who, who are in my classes that I'm not really the type of person to pick on people and really cold call on them. <laughs> but but I do ask questions that I want to get volunteers from the class. And, and that's kind of what I'm trying to do with, with my class. I think one of the things that 1Ls probably find real attractive in, in taking a class from you is that you're not going to cold call on them because that's the last thing they want. They're right. trying to get their footing and figure out what they're doing. So I think it gives them a little bit of peace of mind that they can sit and listen and absorb the content and try and get their feet on the ground. Well, that's that's kind of what I'm I'm thinking in terms of why I'm why I'm not trying to really put them on the spot. Yeah. Um, but you know, there it's a two edged thing, you know. But um, students obviously have to be motivated themselves sure. to be prepared for class and have done the reading. But you know, but um, but and I do occasionally call on people, but for the most part, I, I like to have the voluntary class discussion. Yeah. Uh, Faculty-student relationship is one of our distinctives at Charleston School Law. It's part of our culture. Um, What have you yourself learned from students over the years? Do they consistently come and ask you questions that teach you and stretch you and grow you as well? Yeah, I think that that's absolutely the case. I mean, I've been doing this now for a very long time, um, and it feels like every 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 day is a learning experience for me and hopefully for the students, but for me as well. Um, I think what they bring is different experiences, different perspectives, different ways of looking at particular issues. Um, and so, you know, one thing they do is they, they might cause me to look at an issue in a way that I hadn't really been thinking about it, or, you know, that some, you know, it's, they can point out a reason why it might be important to them or, or how the particular issues might be important to them. Um, you know, and so I think it is not definitely a, a mutual learning experience, hopefully, that's going on in our classrooms and, and in our offices because it's very important to me, like it is to many of my colleagues, to be able to have the time to interact with our students in our offices or, or in the hallways of the classroom mm. of this law school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pro bono populi, I want to talk to you yep. just a small bit about that and get your thoughts. It's, it, it is for the good of the people, for those who right. don't know what pro bono populi means. What does it mean to you after you've been teaching in this setting for 15 years, Paul? Yeah, to, John, I don't know if I have a firm definition, but I think to me, I, I think to me, what to, it means to me it has to do with being of service in whatever way you're best able to be of service. Um, that there's many different ways that people with legal training can be of service to their communities, um, whether it's as a volunteer for community organizations, whether it's providing pro bono legal services. There are infinite ways that the people who have gone through law school and have the, the privilege of having had that education 
can be of service to their communities. And there's not, I don't think, one model for that. Mm. And so to me, it's to me, it's a broad concept that means how can I best take this training and skills and the interests I have um, and, and use those to to help people as best as I can. It's a real rewarding way to approach the law and how you practice it. At least that has been the lesson I've had in the first few months being at the law school. Just didn't really understand that. And when I really understood what the mission of the school was, it was really compelling and, and much more intimate to me. So really excited about what we're doing in that capacity. Right now, you are listening to the Charleston School of Law podcast. Our guest is Professor Paul Lund. If you're listening to the show on iTunes, we ask just a small favor, subscribe and give us a nice review. It certainly does help. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Okay, Professor Lund, we're going to switch gears now. One of my favorite conversations with faculty is always about their passions and hobbies away from the class. What informs them? What makes them the people they are? How do you spend your free time, your weekends? What kind of intrigues you beyond the law? A number of things. I, I like just spending time with my family, um, with my wife and, and adult, my now adult kids, but we still spend a lot <laughs> of time together. Yeah. Um, but reading, I, I love reading. I'm a big fan of mystery novels, especially. Um, so I, I read a lot of mysteries. Okay. Um, I like to do things outside. I just do a lot of walking. One of my favorite places, things to do is to to travel someplace and then just walk around and and, and, and see a new place and, and explore new places. Haven't been able to do too much of that recently, but with the pandemic, but, you know, looking forward to getting back on the road and doing some more traveling. Awesome. But I think my biggest passion away from the law has always been music. Yeah. And I'm not really sure how that began, but um, I mean, I did do typical band stuff when I was in junior high and, and to, to a limited extent in high school, played trumpet and then an instrument called the baritone later on. But I was never in, in like a rock band or anything like that but I've always been really, really drawn to music. And starting when I was around 15 years old, I lived in a city in Florida called Lakeland, Florida, which is about halfway between Tampa and Orlando. Yep. And at the time, at the time, those communities weren't as big, but Lakeland built their own uh, arena in, in Lakeland. And it started drawing all these huge bands there. And so when I was about 15 years old, I just started going to a lot of concerts and things. I've continued going on with that. I mean, I just wouldn't went to a concert last night. That's, you know, so I still go to concerts. Um, and I then got into being a, a college radio uh, announcer, DJ. Um, <laughs> and it, it's kind of all that confluence of things. Just music has always been my real passion. Yeah. Um, first concert for you then at age 15 was who? So my first concert that I can remember would have been much younger than that. It would have been a guy named Davy Jones from the Monkees, yeah. if you remember yeah. that old TV show. Sure. But yeah, but um, but some of the early ones I saw when I was fifteen or sixteen, I saw. Um, well, I saw Elvis Presley before he died. Really? Um, yeah, I did. Um, so Elvis Presley. Uh, but I also saw. So I saw um, Queen when I was still in high school. Mm. I saw the roll. I saw the Rolling Stones when I was still in high school. Uh, I saw Santana when I was still in high school, and I saw Leonard Skinnerd. That was two days before they had that fatal plate, plane crash, oh unfortunately. Um, 
so yeah, these are some, and, and there were a bunch of other bands that aren't as well known that I saw as well. But yeah, so I, I definitely started seeing a lot of things when I was fairly young there. That's pretty cool. That's a great cross section of, I mean, legendary yeah. artists that you had the opportunity right. to see. Um, so the concert you went to last night, Professor Lund was who? It was a, a blues guitarist named Robert Cray. Sure. A great blues guitarist. Yeah. And really, really good show. So I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Fantastic show. Was was that the Charleston Music Hall? Yeah. Charleston Music Hall. I love going to shows there. It's a great venue. And I'm really excited to see that uh, a venue right by the law school, the Music Farm, where I've seen lots and lots of shows is going to be reopening in the spring. So yeah. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. That's uh, for people outside of Charleston listening to the podcast. The Music Farm is really the home and the roots of where bands like Hootie and the Blowfish and um, Edwin McCain and, you know, a lot of bands have come through there that became really big down the road. And uh, it is a legendary place here and has been shut down for a while, but it's it's going to be reopening. And these are within walking distance of the Charleston School of Law. That's how close it is to us in the downtown area. You said th that passion of music, you, you have been able to uniquely and creatively bring music into the classroom. I've been told you often begin a class with like a thematic song based on a topic that you'll be teaching that day. How and when did that start for you? It started when I was at a school that had the technology in the classroom that would allow it, which was at, at Appalachian School of Law in Virginia. And then I continued it when I came here and I've been doing it as long as I've been here. Um, it, I'm not sure what spurred me to do that, but it always, to me, hearing the music kind of motivates me, you know, here it makes, so I, it, it's kind of, it, it wasn't necessarily, it's, I think it was something I did in part for myself, you know, to kind of give myself some, something to start the class with. Um, but, you know, I think overall students have enjoyed it. And, and I think it's something that, that students tend to look forward to. I, they may not recognize the music that I'm going to play, but, <laughs> but I think they still enjoy it. Yeah. Um, so uh, for you, can you take me through the process? Maybe give us an example of how you select a song for a class as it, as it relates to maybe the course subject matter that you're going to be teaching that day? I think about, I mean, sometimes the songs are things that do thematically relate or sometimes they're things that relate to one of the parties in the case, their name of one of the parties or something like that. Um, but give you an example. So I teach evidence quite often and um, the evidence is actually a, a class where I have some of the easiest time. I feel like I have the easiest time selecting appropriate music, but for when, when we're talking about something like the topic of hearsay. Um, so typically, for instance, the first song I'll do when we're discussing hearsay is the Marvin Gaye song, Heard It Through the Grapevine, <laughs> um, because that, um, you know, because it really sums up the idea of, of hearsay and hearing something not firsthand, but from somebody else. And then um, then more modern song that I would play on, on hearsay is um, uh Adele's song rumor has it, yeah. um, you know, cause so, so those are examples of some of the types of things I would do, um, you know, to kind of thematically try to tie something in. Do you get to a point where you play like a Marvin Gaye song, heard it through the grapevine and students will be ask you who the artist is? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, they do. I mean, something like, 
something something like that a lot of them are familiar with because yeah. they've heard it you know from their parents music or whatever but yeah but um and i think the things i do i'm not as um you know i i listen to lots of current music uh-huh. but not necess- not necessarily the things that get played on the radio yeah. you know the top 40 <laughs> yeah so i'm not as up on the top, the current stuff that students are likely to be listening to as much um but you know but i but i do draw my songs from all sorts of styles so you know some some rock alternative um occasionally some country uh some soul especially classic soul and r&b music you know so so i I try to draw on a lot of different stuff do you have a personal favorite genre or artist or style you know that's really hard to say because i think that i've i like all sorts of music so i uh i like i like I like rock and what would be called alternative rock, but I like Americana, what's currently called the Americano, which embraces a lot of different styles. I like, um, I like traditional country music, you know, um, and, you know, especially older school soul and R and B music. Hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot, lots and lots of different stuff. And it usually depends on the mood, the time of the day, all those things. So, you know, you pick your music. So sure. I don't want to hear now. It's just like the listening in the car, you're flipping through stations or you put on your playlist and it's like, you're in the mood for a certain style. I want to rock out or I want to mellow out or whatever the case may be. Do students, yep. Professor Lund, suggest or recommend music to you after you start doing this and they kind of get in the rhythm of what you're doing? They'll go, hey, I know a good song for that. Yeah, I, they do. They do occasionally, not as much as I might like them to really, <laughs> but, um, but, um, but they do. Yeah, I do occasionally get references or suggestions for things that I, I might use. Yeah. You've, you've turned in to the Casey Kasem with the long distance dedications right. and stuff. Right. Right. So did you, as a, as a music lover, did you ever play an instrument or instruments or more vocal stuff for you when you were in high school? Yeah. Well, I, I, I never did vocals. I, I have a horrible singing voice. Mm. Um, I did in, in junior high and high school, I played the trumpet and, and baritone, but, and, you know, I strummed at a guitar a little bit, but I've never, I've never actually really played. Um, and it's funny cause I was, um, thinking of, uh, I've always had this ambition of starting a band and, and learning to play. And when I was in law school, um, with a, I had a, a friend in the first year of law school and in, in property class, um, we, uh, one of the first cases that students usually study in property classes, a case called Pearson versus post, which involves, um, a Fox and who has the property rights in a, in a Fox that's been shot. And the, the case refers to the, the Fox as a noxious beast. So the, this friend of mine and I were talking about that. We wanted to start our own punk band cause that was still punk era <laughs> that we were going to call the noxious beast, but we never, we never actually got around to that, but anyway, yeah, that, it, it, I'm, I'm more of a dream musician than I am an actual musician. <laughs> you have been listening to the Charleston School of Law podcast. Our guest today has been Professor Paul Lund. We took you a little bit in the classroom, a little bit behind the scenes into the things that Professor Lund is into, and I think it's a great opportunity to meet some of our professors. We encourage you to log on to our website at charlestonlaw.edu meet our professors, get to know them, contact them if you're interested in studying and practicing law. They'd love
love to talk to you and uh, talk about your passions as well. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or listen to our streaming interviews at charlestonlaw.edu slash podcast. Professor Lund, it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you on. Let's do it again sometime soon, okay? Absolutely, John. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.